I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, the Nasdaq tries to break a three-day losing streak as reports from the mega caps continue to roll in and investors await the Fed's decision at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Microsoft and Alphabet, the key gainers here. A look at those numbers and whether they're really something to celebrate. Also, speaking of low expectations, Meta tonight facing down its first revenue decline ever. We're going to discuss that setup and then more on tech's biggest moves today outside the mega caps. Spotify's subscription gains, Shopify's weak outlook. That's all coming up this hour, John. Yeah, Carl, we're going to kick off today's feed with the results from Alphabet and Microsoft. And let's start with the good. Both stocks trading higher, investors pointing to strength in their core franchises and the low expectations going into the quarter. Look how much they're trading higher, though. I mean, you know, more than 4% each. 4% for Microsoft, more than 5% for Alphabet. Um, nothing like the disappointments like Snap last week. Pretty strong forecast from, uh, from Microsoft. And looking ahead, an upbeat tone on both calls, despite calling out the macro uncertainty and currency headwinds. That said, though, how good were these quarters really? Both companies missed estimates. These are pretty high-growth stocks with slowing growth. Microsoft talked about weakness in gaming, deteriorating PC sales. Alphabet saw weakness in YouTube particularly. Both missed estimates within their cloud businesses. Uh, D, currency's got something to do with this uh, on both counts. Uh, When it comes to Microsoft, the core cloud business did grow uh, meeting expectations. What's weird about this to me is not that the stocks are higher, it's how much the stocks are higher, given that usually in a quarter like this, when companies sort of meet expectations, the stocks go down. We have to explain, uh, well, actually, beneath the surface in these numbers, this quarter is better than it looks. Here, it's almost like you're tempted to do the opposite. They're less bad than maybe expected. Well, they're I not mean, these bad numbers... at all, but are they like 4 or 5% up good? I don't know. Okay, well, let me let me argue this then. Four or five percent. I mean, they kind of look like good numbers and big numbers, given that (laughs) these two companies missed estimates. However, they're still down 20 percent, both of them on the year. So in that context, this isn't really much of a celebration. Um, John, though, you pointed to the fundamentals. I just want to pull up this chart on alphabet revenue growth because this is really key here. I mean, yes, the market's kind of relieved that it wasn't as bad as expected. But if you take a look at this chart, which I think we have yet, yeah, uh, we're going to pull it up in a moment. Um, but you can really see this big pandemic bump and coming back down because that's essentially what's going on here. And the future, Carl, how much lower does it have to go? There it is. Uh, Indeed, guys. I think Bernstein put it best today. They said plenty to nitpick about on Alphabet, but search does keep Google drama free for now. But, John, search will have to do even more in the second half to offset worsening FX, the reopening, supply chain, recessionary fears, uh, ad targeting headwinds and a weakening consumer. So we'll see. We're we're already going to start talking about the next print. Here's my big question about search. Right. We had this retail scare last week, or was it earlier this week? Oh my goodness, the days are blending together. It must have been last <laughs> week. Um, Walmart, uh, Target, I don't know. But uh, part of what they're doing is liquidating inventory, right? Trying to make room for other stuff. You would need digital yeah. ads, search ads to do that. But then once that's passed through, do you need to buy as much throughout the second half of the year uh, to continue to operate? 
maybe you don't. So in a way, I'm not sure that Search's yeah. current performance is indicative of what we should expect from future results. That is a great point. It just raises the question of how sustainable is it? And back to that chart that I showed you, how much of a leg lower is there? You also mentioned the dollar. I just want to hit on that briefly as well, because I spoke to Ruth Port, the CFO of Alphabet last night, and she said that the dollar, the strong dollar was ahead in this quarter. She expects it to be an much greater. She said much greater. Those are her words in the current quarter. So that's going to weigh as well, though not necessarily the fundamentals. We're going to take a closer look, though, um, at Alphabet with Mizuho's James Lee, who maintains his buy rating and $150 price target despite the misses. Uh, James, you heard about what we've been talking about. How do you judge this quarter separate of this pop that we're seeing? Is it justified? Is it enough? Is it too much in the stock right now? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, certainly, from our perspective, um, Google's business model, Alphabet's business model, is a lot more resilient than its peers, right? We're seeing consumer mixing, shifting their spending very quickly to offline, to travel, and Google is able to benefit from that specifically. And at the same time, we saw cloud business remain pretty healthy. But keep in mind, you know, there is a lot of macro uncertainty going to back half, especially into FY23. Yeah. So therefore, James, expand. The in the I'm sorry to interrupt you. Expand on the cloud business, because I did feel that there was a big difference between what Microsoft said about the cloud versus Google. Um, the management team was pressed by analysts on the call to kind of at least just talk about what they're seeing in terms of demand, and they really refuse to, versus that 40% plus outlook from Microsoft. How confident can we be about the trajectory of Google Cloud? Yeah, fair point, right? They said they haven't seen any slowdown, but we have done independent checks. We did a survey with 250 CIOs, and they're indicating that they are anticipating a recessionary scenario, a shallow recessionary scenario, and they are planned to cut their cloud spending growth about 10 points. At the same time, our separate check showing sales cycles are extended. And at the same time, some of the vendors on the cloud side are evaluating price concessions. And the reason probably we're not seeing any slowdown in cloud spending right now, because the lead time for implementation for cloud projects typically take about six to nine months. If CIO decide to take any actions, it's going to be FY23 as opposed to FY22. Uh, James, how much of what we're seeing out of Alphabet today is not a reaction to uh, the earnings themselves, but a reaction to the fact that we didn't get uh, a replay of what happened with Snap, right? Were, were people, some people anyway, <laughs> afraid of what Google might say in terms of a slowdown, and that's what we didn't get? Yeah, that's a fair point, John, all right? What, what happened with Snap, we think it's more company-specific, right? And obviously, social media advertising is being more impacted due to macro. At the same time, we see quite a bit of competition from TikTok, right? We recently did our checks on TikTok. Specifically, despite the weak macro, John, they're still targeting to double the U.S. revenues from $2.5 billion to $5 billion. So obviously, they're gaining market share at the expense of some of the players in social media space. So what does this mean, especially given that we had strength in, in travel and retail from Google in particular in this current quarter, what do you think that means heading into Q4? I, I wonder what's happening with retail inventory, given that retailers are just telling us, you know, Walmart 
it, it was two days ago, Walmart telling us that they're uh, marking things down, trying to clear things out. Target having said that uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. Maybe that exactly doesn't continue into Q4, and I, I'm not sure how great um, an insight these companies always have into uh, exactly the reason why uh, these categories are, are good. Yeah, good point, John. Uh, we think the mix shift to maybe essential product and to grocery and to travel, they'll continue into Q4. So we're not very concerned about search for this year specifically, maybe a little bit of weakness on the margin. What we're concerning, you know, as consumers continue to be strapped heading to FY23, they need to continue to make choices, you know, especially on travel. Right, or especially on services industry, entertainment in general. And that's why in terms of um, advertising revenue for Alphabet, we're below consensus for FY23. The street's looking for 14%. We're currently at 9% at this point. James, last question for you. Are markets paying enough attention to Ruth Porat's comments on the strong dollar? She says it's going to be a much larger headwind in the current quarter. Yeah, uh, I, I think investors are certainly mindful. I, I think FX impacts more known in the marketplace. What's less known in the marketplace right now is would there be any slowdown in enterprise spending? Would there be any slowdown in cloud? And certainly, you know, uh, they're not seeing it at this point, given the longer lead time we're seeing in the cloud implementation project. If, in fact, our survey is shown to be correct, where towards FY23, CIOs are contemplating taking actions on their budgets and cloud vendors are providing, you know, price concessions. Those are the leading indicator for potential weakness in cloud spending going to FY23. James, thanks so much for your insights. We'll talk to you again soon. Great, thanks. Now let's turn to Microsoft with RBC Capital Markets' Rishi Jaluria, who's maintaining a buy on the stock. Rishi, uh, it, it, once you take out the currency issues um, in particular, some China issues as well, it seemed like a solid quarter, right? So to what do you attribute this 4.5% pop we're seeing this morning? Yeah, th thank you so much for having me. I, I would characterize this as very much being a better than feared quarter, right? Um, you know, I think the the FX stuff was known. Microsoft actually updated, you know, intra quarter, and and we can all track how the euro and pound and and, and yen move. Uh, but the bigger thing is, cloud showed some pretty nice resilience. You know, uh, Azure decelerated underlying about four points, uh, which isn't that big a deal. That's a typical volatility and significantly less than what Google Cloud decelled. Google Cloud decelled eight points last night. So I think uh, that was seen very positively. And then the guidance for next year, right? I think there were worries. Would they be able to maintain that outlook of double digit revenue and double digit uh, uh, profitability growth in spite of FX, in spite of macro concerns? And they absolutely did that and gave some pretty strong uh, Azure guidance to boot. So I think I think this this move up in the in the stock is absolutely justified. Um, and what does it say that they're even able to give, comfortable giving that kind of guidance? It wasn't too long ago that uh, the sorts of economic headwinds we're facing now had companies saying, uh, maybe we don't want to guide at all. Um, but but uh, things have stabilized. Is that the message? I, I think there's two things that make it different uh, with, with Microsoft, right? Number one is, uh, you know, they're going after 
core mission critical workloads at the enterprise, right? And and they're they're having ongoing conversations with the customers about consumption patterns, uh, you know, about pricing and all that stuff. So that gives them a level of comfort um, to, to be able to forecast. And the other is it's it's purely a subscription model right now, right? If we think about Microsoft in the last real recession, it was a very, very different company. Subscription companies are significantly more predictable than the old model. So I think it's a combination of those two that gives Microsoft the confidence to guide the way they did last night. Do, do you think uh, the commentary acts as a, a bit of a relief to uh, overall macro concerns about Europe and what might happen regarding lead cycles? There? I mean, what do we do with McDermott's comments in the wake of what Microsoft said? Yeah, look, I, I don't. I think they 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 need to be taken together, right? Um, it, it, Microsoft has talked about some longer sales cycles. They talked about some consumption weakness uh, at, at SMB. These are all caveats, right? And I think you know, with ServiceNow reports tonight, uh, you know, we'll see what they talk about. But in my mind, it it is still saying the macro picture is maybe slightly deteriorating, but it's not nearly as bad as people thought it would be. So I think that's kind of the the sum of what Microsoft said and what uh, Bill McDermott had said last week. So, Rishi, let's talk about where Microsoft is going. It's making a big bet on gaming right now. Counts for a relatively small amount of its business. However, it's trying to close that 70, nearly $70 billion deal for Activision Blizzard. Yet overall gaming revenue in the quarter declined some 7% year over year. Uh, yeah, look, in, in my mind, right, there's a couple factors driving the, the the gaming downward tick, right? You have tough comps from from COVID and post-COVID. Uh, you have um, supply chain issues in, in China from the lockdowns, meaning they can't manufacture enough Xboxes to meet demand. You also have the uh, delay of some AAA game titles. But really, look, gaming longer term is a huge opportunity for them, especially with Xbox Game Pass. And if you listen to Sethia's commentary on the call yesterday, that was one of the big bright spots out of gaming is Game Pass, right, is marching down that vision towards becoming the, the quote, Netflix of gaming. Um, and, and I think once Activision closes, and I do expect it to close, I don't expect too much antitrust pushback, uh, I think the value prop for that becomes only stronger. So I think gaming will yeah, continue to become a big point of emphasis. So that long-term thesis is intact, but is it worth $70 billion for that Activision Blizzard deal at a time when the macro environment is slowing and so is gaming? Uh, yeah, look, I think so. I think uh, when they announced the deal, right, obviously the macro picture is different, but I, I think most of us thought they got Activision at a really great price, right? And, and the only reason they were able to is because of all, some of the cultural issues and, and leadership issues going on at, at Activision. I still think in spite of the, the market pullback and the macro pullback, the price is right. Um, and, it, it, and it gets some first party IP. That's the big thing, right? That's what makes Game Pass so much more valuable is access and ownership of that IP. Uh, Rishi, similar to what we saw with Alphabet, I was impressed by the overall performance of Microsoft's portfolio. Uh, I, I suspected that LinkedIn might come in under expectations and more personal computing also uh, for the reasons of what we're seeing happening in just the PC environment and, uh, and recruiting and advertising. They did, but Cloud outperformed. Um, do you expect that to continue? Do you expect those areas to get worse or to st uh, stabilize? I do expect those areas to, to, to degrade more, right? Um, you, you have the impact of China lockdowns uh, still playing out. 
uh, you know, LinkedIn, you know, in a worsening macro environment will face pressure from ad budgets uh, and, you know, recruiting becomes uh, less important. I think it's important LinkedIn is diversified into marketing and sales as well. But really, cloud is going to be the big growth driver going forward. And, and you know, you look at Azure, which is growing 46 percent at almost 50 billion dollars in revenue. I think those are some very impressive numbers. And I think the future of Microsoft over the coming year or two really does hinge on the cloud story. All right, Rishi, thank you. Thank you. Uh, one more note on Microsoft. Wall Street Journal reporting the company has reportedly rallied allies, teaming up with Alphabet and Oracle to lobby the U.S. government to spread out uh, its cloud spending as Amazon dominates the space, including a $10 billion 10-year deal with the NSA. An Amazon spokesperson hit back, calling that lobbying effort self-serving and saying that uh, public sector customers should be able to choose their vendors without mandates or restrictions. Carl, there's very little lobbying that's not self-serving. <laughs> Indeed, uh, that's kind of the definition of lobbying, I guess, John. Meantime, Shopify shares rebounding big today, but down more than 10% for the week, and it's only Wednesday. We'll get more on those results after the break. Tech Check is just getting started. now on Aunt Kathy and a pretty awful return on ARK's Coinbase stake, dumping just over 1.4 million shares of coin for $53 a share. The average share price in the original purchase for Kathy Wood was $254.65. Um, so that is one ugly slide and return. However, coin is still in the top 15 holdings of ARK's flagship fund and they still hold a nearly 5 million shares. Uh, ARK and Coinbase competing to see who can have a worse 2022 with Kathy Wood's flagship fund. Down more than 50%. Coin is down nearly 80, so taking the lead there. But, John, you know, Kathy Woods has stuck with Coinbase through so much. You have to wonder if it was that SEC scrutiny investigation that, you know, was the catalyst to get her to sell some, though it's a very small amount of her holdings. Yeah, just a small amount. Just a small amount. Um, she's... She's hanging in there as she does. But she's not buying more. I guess that's the key, too. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's an opportunity to pick up for her. Indeed. All right, let's get to Shopify. And I'm not the Canadian, so I don't know why I'm doing this, but I will. <laughs> the stock making a comeback from yesterday's 14% drop, despite posting a wider-than-expected loss and a weaker outlook for the quarter. An issue at play in the results is weakening consumer demand. Shopify saying in a statement, persistent higher inflation and rising rates are going to, quote, pressure consumers' wallets for purchases of goods. And a second factor, the reset in e-commerce, with growth normalizing, going back toward pre-pandemic rates. The company is expecting an adjusted operating loss for the second half of 2022, with its third quarter loss expected to increase over Q2s. Carl, they're sticking to that fulfillment strategy. They want to build up um, that base to be able to serve its small business customers, to get goods to customers faster, in a way, wow, that's a lot of me. Uh, in a way. <laughs> we'll take it. That's, that's in stereo, John. Wow. Uh, that's reminiscent of what uh, Amazon invested in during a downturn 20 years ago, but we'll see if this one pays off. 
Yeah, uh, there's a name, too, that speaking to Kathy Wood, who did add to some shares on the dip. I guess we could do that, John, with an on the other hand, right? Just have you on uh, twice on the screen. <laughs> there you go. You can have four <laughs> hands, Dee. That's what we should be doing if you're on the other hand. Maybe, yeah, I, I don't know how that would work. But um, I can't stop looking at this chart that Tobias Luque, the CEO, posted when he sent that letter out. I think it was last week, like you, John, my timing during earnings season. Yeah, here it is. I mean, he expected that line to go straight up and look at it come back down. He admitted that he was wrong. But I mean, ouch, that is really getting it wrong. Yeah, I don't know if he expected it to go straight up, but I think maybe he expected it to continue the upward slope from that high yeah. point as opposed Fair. to come right back down to mm. continue the slope where it left off, Carl. Yeah, um, probably the most important trend line uh, that we talk about across corporate uh, business right now is the normalization of that trend. Yeah. Uh, meantime, will Meta be on target this quarter or report its first ever revenue decline? Our next guest says the company's rocket ship days may be behind them. We will discuss after the break. Don't go away. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with Carl Quintanilla, John Fort, and Julia Borston. Checking in at half past the hour, markets are higher than NASDAQ. The real standout here up two and a third of one percent being helped by those set of earnings. Uh, Alphabet and Microsoft, Texas Instruments, too, by the way. Those shares are up some four percent, helping the whole tech space, John. Indeed. And coming up, Meta expected to report its first ever decline in revenue for, a quarter, for the quarter, uh, taking a hit from the digital ad slowdown that has sent shares of Snap, Twitter, and others plummeting. Hey, but Alphabet's up. Julia Borston joins us with a look at what to expect tonight, Julia. Is this going to be more of Snap or more of Alphabet? Well, that's the question, because Meta shares are up nearly 4% this morning in the wake of Google's better alphabets, better than expected results. But those shares are still down nearly 10% for the week ahead of earnings this afternoon. Now, these earnings are expected to be when Meta reports its first ever decline in revenue after last quarter, its Facebook app reported its first ever decline in users. This all comes as investors brace for Meta to suffer from all the same issues that have hurt the other ad platforms. Macroeconomic pressures causing a broad ad pullback, challenges navigating Apple's operating system changes, and growing competition from TikTok. Now, Alphabet reported yesterday, and while the overall picture was good, YouTube's ad revenue decelerated to 5% growth. That is short of estimates. While last week, both Snap and Twitter fell short of both top and bottom line expectations. Now, for Meta, whose stock is down about 50% year-to-date, analysts are expecting a 0.4% decline in revenue to just under $30 billion, while earnings per share are projected to decline 28%. But 70% of analysts have a buyer overweight rating on the stock. Bank of America with a buy rating saying that the ad recession may have already started and they expect a better 2023, projecting that the company will uh, have an optimistic outlook on monetizing reels, improving ad targeting, and also slowing metaverse spend. But there have been some recent signs that Meta is grappling with some growing challenges. Mark Zuckerberg told employees at the end of June that this is, quote, one of the worst downturns we've seen in recent history. 
and Instagram. We've been talking about the fact that it just rolled out some changes to compete more directly with TikTok. We see if all of that creates kind of a perfect storm or whether Meta's scale helps insulate it more similar to what we saw from Alphabet. John? Julia, are analysts saying that the stock is more likely to move on revenue or on profit? Because Facebook Meta has a bit of a history of sandbagging on the cost expectations. And then when times get tough, spending way less than expected and, and goosing that bottom line number. Well, what's so interesting here is that if, if Meta shows declining revenue growth for the first time, that would be just a dramatic shift. This is a company that has had such consistent revenue growth. I think that would sort of represent a sea change in terms of where Meta fits into this ad landscape. But there is something really important right now about the bottom line. Investors are looking for Meta to cut back on spending and particularly cut back on spending on some of these long-term, more moonshot-type bets on things like the metaverse. So I think this is a, a situation where we can see both come into play. The most important thing, I think, is going to be the top-line results and this question of how much the overall pie is shrinking, the overall revenue is shrinking. But if we hear more and more about being fiscally cautious in terms of how they're allocating spending. I think that will reassure investors, but that's the kind of thing that tends to come out during the earnings call. So I think the first move will be on the revenue. Uh, it's definitely a pattern. Uh, waiting for the call is pretty critical, Julia. We'll find out more tonight, our Julia Borston. Our next guest says the company's rocket ship days have now reached their end. Let's talk about that with CNBC contributor Alex Kantrowitz of the Big Technology Newsletter. Alex, great to have you. There's a pretty good piece in The Times. Uh, Mike Isaac takes a crack at just how the metaverse is really becoming an existential bet on behalf of the company and Zuck. Does your view reflect the fact that that's going to be a losing bet? Well, the thing is, with the metaverse, it has to work for Facebook. We don't know whether it's going to be a winner or a loser. Um, but the second they started showing user growth declines, the second they started to show uh, potential revenue declines or even stagnation, for the company it became, there's one thing and one thing only that needs to work, and it's the metaverse. Now, the problem with that is we're probably looking at three, four, five years into the future to see that bet pay off. And right now, we really don't know whether it's going to be a broad consumer application like the company's hoping or something more enterprise, which I think is more likely. So your point then is that until we know if it's going to work, what, stock becomes dead money for in the interim? Or how, how do you think the street uh, processes that, that gap? It could be. I mean, we had this with Microsoft, right? Microsoft had this powerhouse Windows business all about the desktop machine. We moved into the age of mobile and, uh, and cloud, and it took some time for that Azure bet to pay off. When it did, the people holding Microsoft stock were really happy, uh, but it took 10 years. So I'm not saying that's necessarily gonna happen with Facebook. We, Facebook is still a player on mobile. It's still a player um, when it comes to the advertising business. It's not Snap, it has mm -hmm. data, it has reach, but it is gonna take a lot of time for that metaverse bet to pay off. And I don't think right now you can bet on the stock as if it's about to pay off imminently because it's definitely not. Alex, it takes time. It also takes a lot of money in most cases. Yesterday, um, Meta said that it was going to raise the price of its Oculus headset. What does that tell us about its ambitions, how it can fund that pivot to the metaverse? Well, it tells, it, it tells us that the company, like every other company in the economy right now, needs to start making some money. The market is no longer going to... Um, 
accept runaway losses forever in the hope of some faraway vision is going to come true. That was 2021. We're in 2022 now. Totally different ballgame. So Meta needs to show results, and I think this is part of it. Yeah, but I, I mean, this the stakes are too high. I mean, you look at an alphabet, they're not scaling back investments in the cloud because they see the secular opportunity. Making consumers kind of in a very weird, indirect way pay for those ambitious efforts seems, um, I don't know, strange to me. And, and I think you're hitting exactly on the tension here, right? If the company scales back its investments in the metaverse, if it prices those devices too high and it ends up shooting itself in the foot and, and hampering the progress of this situation, um, then in the long run, it's not going to have good results. In the short run, it's not going to have results. And it's in this epic balancing act where it has to find ways to make the street happy, but it also has to find ways to keep funding those long-term results that it's looking for. And if it can't get that balance right, it's in some serious trouble. Hmm. Alex, it seems to me that so far, and it's early days, but so far, Facebook's metaverse strategy is too much like Microsoft's mobile strategy was. Because strategically, the metaverse isn't about the metaverse. It's about the company having been too paranoid about competition horizontally in the past and not paranoid enough about building an ecosystem vertically. They didn't do a phone when maybe they should have tried to do a phone or a mainstream tablet, something to, to create an ecosystem that they had control over. Now they're suffering because Apple and Google have too much control over their fate. But platforms are built on hit products. And when it comes to the metaverse, Facebook doesn't have a hit product. Right. And, and there's a key distinction here that I think is important to point out. Microsoft's Play to Mobile was hampered by the fact that the company had this strong desktop computing division, Windows, that really didn't want the mobile internet or the mobile revolution to happen at all. It was king of desktop. It didn't want that transition to happen. Right now, Facebook is effectively a surf in the mobile world, right? Because it is beholden to the decisions that Apple makes, to the decisions that Google makes. And we're starting to see right now the fact that those Apple decisions have started to really crush its business that, that it is not the mobile player that we thought it was. So that's why I think it needs to go all in on this metaverse idea, because it has to own an operating system so it's not subject to the platform risk that it would be otherwise. But th this is the rub right now, right? Is Does the metaverse thing work? We know that most people live close to their friends and family. So what is the appeal of hanging out with them in virtual reality when they can be spending time with them in their living rooms? That's the key hmm. question now. Can it build something that's strong enough to yeah. make them want to be in those VR guys. But what's weird to me is, why would you go all in on something that doesn't have any momentum? I mean, I, I don't, mm -hmm. my, my kids aren't begging me for uh, virtual reality or augmented reality headsets right now. I mean, you don't hear Apple talking about going all in on the metaverse, even though there are all these rumors about them building a headset. Like, wh why would you, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just uh, incubate a bunch of products and see what's working and then put more wood behind the arrow and the stuff that's working. It, it is extremely weird. I, I think you nailed it right there. <laughs> it's very, very weird. Um, I would say if you want to take the meta, meta perspective on this, is that it understands that it business, its business is at significant risk if it stays in the place that it is. Right? It faces risk from Apple trying to crush its ad business, risk from TikTok or the next TikTok that's going to take momentum and social. I mean, what are the Facebook products right now, really? They're this weird mix of friends and family, entertainment, interests that don't really seem to mix very well. And so the company needs something new. And, you know, it might be a desperation play to really try to make this metaverse thing happen, you know, out of thin air. But I think you're spot on on that front. 
I don't think people are begging for VR goggles. They're selling okay, uh, but they're not yeah. the revolution that the way the iPhone was, and that's going to be an issue for Meta. To, to, your, to your broad point about owning something new, helping to create something new, what do you think it does to the company's reputation, well-founded or not, that they basically exist by co-opting pieces of rivals' machinery? Well, that's always been the problem for Meta or when it was once called Facebook, that it would you know, go to market. Um, it had a good product initially, but it has been you know, successfully copying other companies' products you know, throughout the last bunch of years. And, you know, when you look at um, stories in particular, that was successful and that wasn't really the reputational issue. I think people using these products um, and that those are the people that matter, right? The consumers who are on these products have a pretty high tolerance um, for copying other companies' products as long as they do a good job of it. I think the real risk here is that Reels just is not at the level uh, that TikTok is at the moment. Um, actually, I'm, I'm optimistic about them prioritizing their their Reels product and putting it front and center. I think that's a good thing. Um, but mm. the, the bottom line is, un until it's as good as TikTok, it's going to feel weird. And I think weird is the word of the week right now for, for Meta. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Got, I think we said it about 10 right. times in that segment. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, uh, thanks so much. Great insight. And we'll see what happens uh, after the bell. Uh, let's get a news update with our Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Carl. Good morning to you. Here's what's happening at this hour. Mortgage demand edging lower for the fourth straight week, even as interest rates have fallen from their recent highs. Total volume was down 1.8% last week from the previous week, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association's index. And in another indication of cooling housing, pending home sales fell 20% in June. Germans, Germany's Lufthansa has canceled more than a thousand flights this week due to labor troubles. This morning, the carrier has already shelled 59% of its flights for the day. And the giant Mega Millions lottery jackpot ballooned to just over $1 billion after no one matched all six numbers last night. The new jackpot for Friday night's drawing will be the third time that the Mega Millions has gone over a billion dollars. Of course, Deirdre, the cash value is only about $600 million or so. You can after, handle that. After tax, I guess. Uh, wow, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't realize it was that high. i got to go out and get my ticket. Maybe this time exactly. I will. Bertha, thank you. Uh, meanwhile, keep an eye on Logitech. Shares are continuing their ride lower after yesterday's poor results. Loot Capital takes the name to neutral this morning, saying it could take until the end of the year for demand to normalize. This is the case of another pandemic darling coming back to Earth, which has been a theme this earnings season. More market action after the break. Stay with us. With the exception of Apple, the five largest stocks in the S&P are all underperforming the index since January. In case you haven't been keeping track, those are all tech. Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla, all down 22% or more. Senior markets correspondent Bob Bassani joins us now with a look at whether there could be more pain ahead. Bob, I guess that is the question here. What Microsoft and Alphabet stocks are telling us today is that a lot of this has been priced in. Yeah, that's the point. Uh, the 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 takeaway from tech so far is it's not pretty, but a lot of the bad news is already priced in. Microsoft cited a whole litany of issues to account for the EPS and the revenue miss. Foreign exchange, there were production shutdowns in China, there was a deteriorating PC market in June, there were reductions in advertising spending. And look, still the stock's up almost 5%. Wedbush's Dan I said last night, right after the earnings, ultimately when the onion is peeled away from results, the most important core business, cloud and commercial bookings, 
was relatively rock solid despite the fears. And that's the point. A lot of bad news already priced into Microsoft. And really, it's the same with Alphabet, also an EPS and a revenue miss, with the slowest revenue growth in two years. Now, with the exception of Apple, the five largest stocks you just heard there in the S&P, it's all tech, if you call Tesla a tech stock, uh, as well as Meta and NVIDIA, they're all underperforming the S&P 500 this year, except for Apple. The average decline of these top seven names has been 31% this year, 31%. These stocks are collectively, these seven, they're north of 30% of the market cap of the S&P, but the S&P is only down 17%, and that's because of this amazing outperformance from energy and a small group of healthcare and consumer staple stocks. But you see technologies as a group pretty rough year. Of course, just because tech has been in a bear market, it doesn't mean it can't go deeper into the hole. But there's a big difference. The bulls keep screaming at me between a tech recession and a nuclear winter. Are we really anticipating a nuclear winter in technology? The bulls insist that's really a stretch. Some of these declines, they point to I me, mean, they've been truly breathtaking. Look at NVIDIA. It's been cut in half since hitting its historic high in November of last year. The forward P.E. ratio has also been cut in half from 68 in January to 32 times forward today. That's the multiple that NVIDIA traded at prior to COVID. So it's come all the way back down again. Now, that doesn't mean we can't go down more in the next two months, but a reasonable position would argue that there is more potential upside in the highest quality names if you're thinking six months down the road than there are the downsides. Guys, back Bob, to you. key thing there, highest quality. I mean, when we talk about yeah. a tech downturn or nuclear winter, take a look at some of the smaller names. They're not going to be able to hold up as well. And even the highest quality names, the mega caps, they are pulling back in spending. That's going to have a knock-on effect and could kind of create this cycle. So we're not necessarily in the clear, right? No, no. And the key point here is you can decline a little bit more, but the highest quality names aren't going to go away. They're still going to, even in a recession, Deirdre, we're going to have tremendous demand for technology, just like we did during the COVID situation. And yes, the companies that don't make any money at all, yes, they're going to have a tougher time raising money in a higher interest rate environment. Bifurcation in the tech business, for sure. But going away, no, not even close. Bob, appreciate that. Uh, quite a day. A 2.5% gain there on the NASDAQ. That's our Bob Pisani. Quick live shot of the Rose Garden at the White House, where the president is delivering remarks after the White House announced he has tested negative for COVID and will leave isolation. Talked about his own experience, uh, the availability of antivirals, Paxlovid, and of course the country's overall COVID efforts. He says, my symptoms were mild, my recovery was quick, and I'm feeling great. We will continue to monitor those comments, John. Glad to hear it. And meanwhile, Spotify and T-Mobile getting a boost from their results. What subscriptions have to do with it? Next, don't go away. In a slowing macro environment, could healthy subscription models be key to holding on to your consumer? Well, Spotify is seeing revenue grow 23%, beating estimates as paying subscribers rose 14%. One of the bright spots for T-Mobile, also subscriber growth, though the company missing estimates, but raising its sub-growth forecast for the second time this year. And Netflix last week, the big surprise was a smaller sub-loss than expected. And all of that makes me wonder what's going to happen with Roku's active accounts when it reports tomorrow. Now, Julia Borston just talked with the CFO of Spotify, joins us now to discuss, Julia, uh, something people are actually paying more for, subscriptions to Spotify. 
Yes, and I spoke to Spotify CFO Paul Vogel, and what's so interesting here is how different the audio space is from the video space. You know, he pointed out that they've been competing with the same players for a while, whereas for the streamers, that landscape has changed so much with so many new options entering the market. He also pointed out the fact that their user growth is accelerating um, is a good sign for other things down the line. I mean, obviously it's great for ad revenue because it's a bigger market, but it also typically indicates that a year from now they will see an acceleration in subscription growth. So he talked a little bit about that and also their ad business, though they've seen some weakness, he said in the last two weeks of the quarter, he does see their ad business holding up in Q3, which is different from what we've heard and seen from some of these other ad supported players. He also just said they still think that they're very much in the early days huge massive opportunity for growth and especially in some of these markets like Southeast Asia and Latin America and don't forget they have this new audiobook business which they're going to be starting to roll out this year and fully launching next year and then dear to remember they talked about all these other verticals that are in the works that they haven't actually told us about yet but it makes you yeah. think what services are considered utilities you know what is considered core and what's considered expendable <laughs> Well, one thing that's certainly extendable, I guess they decided, was car thing, that really confusing dashboard. They said they're going to shut down production, um, Julia, but they're also and have been making sort of a bigger bet on video. Where does that stand? Well, look, I think that that's, it's going to be part of their core focus on audio. So for them, video is sort of an extension, depending on how people are watching. So if there's a podcast that people um, may opt to watch with video on, then that's going to be another way to, to make the experience more valuable and more engaging. But I think they're not going to try to compete with Netflix. They have no interest in trying to compete with Disney+. Plus. They want to stick in their lane, which is this audio space, and make sure that that audio service is as appealing as possible. Some of that might be adding things like audiobooks, more podcasts, and some of that might be enhancing the experience of watching a podcast um, if you choose to consume that content that way. Yeah, it's interesting, Julia. You know, even with this pretty bullish uh, MAU guidance, uh, obviously still operating income uh, coming in a bit light, and that's why they're going to have to be cautious on hiring in the back half, which is now sort of becoming uh, almost a universal sentiment among companies that are even uh, growing as quickly as this one. Uh, pretty interesting, but what a gain here today, 14.5%. Uh, Meantime, uh, TI uh, defying that ease in consumer electronics demand. We'll get more on the results that are sending that stock up 4% in just a moment. Back in two. Got some new numbers out of Just Capital this morning and a ranking of the top 100 companies supporting healthy families and communities. A list that scores public companies on issues like worker financial wellness, DEI initiatives, climate and environmental justice, product safety and more. Tech actually dominates the list, including uh, taking three out of the top five spots. PayPal and Salesforce go one and two. Intel rounds out the top five. Head over to CNBC.com for the results and learn more about the methodology behind some of those rankings, John. Interesting. We do we are getting a sense that workers are driven perhaps marginally more by corporate values than strictly comp. Yeah, uh, we'll see if that continues as the economy does what it does. Uh, let's get that gut check you mentioned, Carl, on Texas Instruments. The stock's getting a nice boost this morning after an earnings beat, solid revenue forecast. The easing of COVID-19 lockdowns in China, the chief catalyst there for Texan. The company had built in a half a billion dollar cushion for lockdowns to be worse than they were. The stock is still down double digits since the start of the year, rising today though more than 4%. We'll be right back.
One more thing before we go, and that is an activist investor for PayPal. The Journal reporting Elliott Management has started to build a stake in the payments company. PayPal has gone from about a $350 billion market cap to just $89 billion this year. You see it in that chart. You'll remember that Elliott also has a large stake in Pinterest, potentially a connection there. PayPal, of course, tried to buy Pinterest last year. Pinterest's new CEO, Bill Reddy, was a former PayPal executive. And PayPal has yet to fill its open CFO role. We will see, guys, but I think we're going to get more stories like this. And for PayPal in particular, we've talked about how it comes from the strong advantage. So many Venmo users, multiples that of its competitors, but really unable, John, to monetize those users. Yeah, we'll see just how how active this activist is, Carl. I mean, in in a way, you think about Value Act several years ago, uh, taking on Microsoft. It's not like it fundamentally changed Microsoft. Satya Nadella got in there. Uh, The company did well. Um, people barely remember Value Act. Uh, stock price is low. It's got <laughs> lots of room to move higher. We'll see. Yep. Uh, Gordon Haskett, though, today says on that ready thing, uh, it's not hard to envision that deal coming back to life. We'll find <laughs> out. As for tonight, guys, Ford, Meta, Qualcomm, Etsy, and we'll get claims GDP in the morning. Let's get to the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.